from the big screen to the small screen and everything in between. This is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. All right, guys, so we have a serious treat for this bonus episode. Um, The screeners were actually able to see a pre-release screening of a film that's going to be coming out on February 26th called Jack of the Red Hearts. And um, so we have all seen the film. And today on our show, we have the screenwriter for the film, Jennifer Deaton, here with us today. Jennifer, can you say hi? Hi, everybody. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on the Screeners podcast. I'm excited. Well, we are very excited and really honored um, to be able to talk with you a little bit and talk with you about this film um, and just so honored to to have the opportunity to see the pre-release screening of it. It's actually already won um, some awards and some different film festivals around, and I'm sure Jennifer will tell us a little bit about that, but um, it's got an all-star cast. Um, it's an excellent film. So Jennifer, can you just maybe tell us a little bit about your story and what inspired you to to write this film? Sure. Um, the name of the movie is Jack of the Red Hearts. And um, it's a story about how this this street kid who's kind of like a, a con artist, expert, liar, kind of a chameleon type personality just by means of surviving on the streets, um, sees this opportunity to trick this desperate mother into hiring her to be a live-in companion for her little girl who is severely impacted by autism. And the street kid is played by Anna Sophia Robb, who people probably know from Soul Surfer or from the Carrie Diaries, and she's done so many, so many great movies. And the mother is played by Fonka Jansen, who people recognize from as Jean Grey from the X-Men or in Taken or How to Get Away with Murder. We really lucked out with this awesome cast and um the little girl in the story was is inspired by my niece in real life um my precious adorable niece hannah is is on the spectrum of autism and she's now 17 and still you know pretty nonverbal. And um, I first wrote the wrote the script years ago, and um, I had been babysitting her um, when she was a little girl. And and for those who know, it can be really, really exhausting and really, really frustrating. The amount of repetition that is required, and 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 just some of the challenges that autism uh, presents. And I was babysitting her, and I I. I fell to the floor of my parents' bathroom and I just wished that there could be someone who came into her life that was like an Annie Sullivan type person or that I could be an Annie Sullivan type person. And, and, you know, Annie Sullivan is the, is the young woman who came into Helen Keller's life and famously reached her, this seemingly unreachable, unreachable little girl who was blind and deaf. And, and I had been a fan of the Helen Keller, Annie Sullivan story that was in the, you know, in the play, the miracle worker and the movie with Anne Bancroft. And I had been a fan of, of their story as a little girl. So when I was sort of presented with this contemporary, um, 
experience of autism, I, I just, my mind just put the two of these two things together. And unfortunately, I'm sure many people will know that, that autism is, is more definitely more confounding than blindness or deafness. Um, so, so it was just like, who, who could be in my mind? I just envisioned like this unlikely person coming into the life of a child. And the reason I say unlikely is I, a lot of people, you know, know Annie Sul Sullivan as this famous success story. But when she first came to the Keller household, she was half blind herself. She had been a ward of the state and she had not received all of this, you know, training to be an expert. But it was sort of out of their relationship and their will to connect that this breakthrough happened. And and in a way, writing the script for me was kind of like fantasizing about that happening for my niece. Oh, I love hearing all of that so much. Like, <laughs> seriously, we were talking a little bit before you came on just about, you know, where you might have gotten the the idea for for the, the Helen Keller stuff and the Annie Sullivan stuff and all of that. And like, I have to say, you know, I, obviously, I think we have like two different um parts of questions that we want to ask you like part some of the questions have to do with you know your background and the inspiration for this film and what you want to see this film accomplish in the world and then obviously we also want to ask you stuff about the production side of it and how you actually sure. got your project made and stuff like that but for me I, I mean I'm definitely interested in the production side but for me this movie I mean I pretty much cried through like half of this film watching <laughs> it because because I feel like I know this girl. Like I, I, I have a couple kids in my life who are on the spectrum, and one specifically um, that I see on a weekly basis, and like I know her. And so mm -hmm. to see her portrayed in this story and her, her family portrayed in this story, like, was very, very powerful and very, very moving. Um, so I love, I love hearing about like the fantasy sort of that made this story come to life. So that is, that is so awesome. So you said you wrote this film a long time ago. Have you have you written other film projects um, between when you wrote this and when this was actually produced? Well, um, this is my first movie to be produced and distributed, and it's absolutely thrilling because I first came to Los Angeles to be a screenwriter. Should we? Is this a show where we get down to the nitty gritty and the truth? Yeah, I yeah, first... we love that. <laughs> yeah, <Yes. laughs> I first came to Los Angeles to be a screenwriter in 1993, and um, maybe some of your listeners will be um, familiar with the principle of success called persistence, mm -hmm. uh, which is summed up with the phrase, I will until. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it has taken this long to get a movie made. I have been writing um, other scripts, and life happens and I've been working in the business and learning the business and um, there's just something special about this script in the way that it resonates with people and I think that the timing the timing is is meaningful so I know I know the guys have a lot of questions I want to let them all have time so Chris do you have any questions you wanted to ask Jennifer yeah do you have a favorite scene that you loved when we were writing it that you maybe uh, just kind of stood out to you and you couldn't wait to see that 
that particular scene? Let me tell you, um, I'm so grateful to my brother's family because not only is the child um, inspired by my niece, but I really put so much into the script as an as an eyewitness to my brother's family, and I was inspired by um, the my brother and sister in law and the humor and the courage with which they you know face this challenge that is autism. And there's so much love in their family, and my niece is just obviously a, you know aware of how loved she is. And one of my favorite favorite scenes is is lifted straight from their lives. Um, Throughout the years, my my brother bonds with my niece, his daughter, by playing the guitar for her. And she loves music. And even though she is primarily nonverbal, she does not have a lot of voluntary language, she loves it when he plays the guitar for her. And she will request songs. She will, sometimes she'll say the name of the song, but sometimes she will like say a lyric and then the game for the rest of us is to try to guess, wait, where's that lyric from? Oh yeah. She means, you know, this song, you know? Um, and so I had written in the script a scene based on this detail from their lives. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I, I had written, I don't know if you're familiar with schoolhouse rock, um, but my brother, yeah, one of the songs that she would request was my hero zero, but she would say, Hero Zero, you know, like with just Hero Zero. So um, I had written Hero Zero into the script. So we're like a week away from production. And my director and producers are like, you know, there's no way we can afford to get the rights mm-hmm. to the Schoolhouse Rock song. So I'm in the script and I'm going backspace, backspace, backspace. And I deleted Zero. And we're thinking, you know, like what, what pr- public domain song are we going to get, whatever. But I was left with this word Hero. And I thought wait a minute, a friend of mine who's a filmmaker in New York had made a music video of this wonderful musician that he met in the dog park. And the song was called Hero, so I went and I looked it up, and I could not believe how perfectly the lyrics applied for a dad singing a song to his 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 child with special needs like um we all know that I'm that I'm not a hero but my power is in my love for you and it's just the lyrics are just so 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 perfect well the singer is Annie Fitzgerald and her version of the song is in a woman's voice and it's it's you know well produced and it's sort of more um it's it's slower and I and I got my friend to put me in touch with her and I and I I she didn't know me and I was like, hey, look, can you um, maybe just record this song real quick, but have, like, your husband sing it, like, with sort of, like, his flawed, you know, non-singer voice, and, and maybe you play it more upbeat, just so that I can present the song to the director and the producers in the in the way that they need to use their imaginations the least, you know what I mean? So that they could picture this song in this scene, and 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 she was like, sure, no problem. They just did it like that. And, of course, the producers and directors were like, yes, absolutely. We love it. It's perfect. Well, the day came to shoot, uh, to, that, to shoot that scene. And I was so excited that I was able to have the songwriter on set, too. Because she's an up-and-coming artist, you know. So it's, it's special for her, too. 
And she was able to see um, our amazing actor, Scott Cohen, comes from a family of musicians. And he, like, learned the song in just a few days. And um, it was such a magical moment on set that so many of the crew were crowding behind Video Village that the AD had to, like, yell at everybody to be quiet and get out of there unless they were absolutely essential. And But it was it was a really, really special moment on set, and it continues to be one of my favorite, favorite moments in the story. That's uh, that's great. That's, that's fantastic. And, I was gonna... and sometimes they say that, you know, um, a limited budget uh, creates opportunities. Yeah. That, you know, whereas if you just had all the money in the world to, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't lead you to certain things in the same way. I love for it. sure. I love for it. Sure. Chad, I, I know you have got a lot of questions. Yeah, I do. Um, specifically, though, I, I, I think eventually we'll get back to kind of your process and your journey starting back in 1993, um, <laughs> which takes you up to now, which is we have a lot of people that listen to the podcast that are aspiring filmmakers, screenwriters. Dan, our own Daniel uh, just graduated and is an aspiring screenwriter as well. And so there's a lot Great. of kind of very practical things that I think we want to ask, but I want to dovetail off of that your answer there, because you've mentioned a couple times that you were obviously on set. And so I'm curious as the screenwriter, because in a lot of situations, sometimes the screenwriter's on set, sometimes they're not, sometimes there's rewrites, sometimes there's not. I'm curious as far as your, any personal experiences that you had being on set for a lot of this shooting. And if, if you were ever called on to do any rewrites or if you, how involved with the director were you just like on a, on a day-to-day basis over the shooting schedule? Well, I, I was really blessed by a wonderful collaboration with the director, Janet Grillo. I was, I was very happy to be on set because it was such a personal story. And Janet has a lot of experience in the entertainment industry, a long background of being a producer and executive. But this is only her second feature film as a director and I'm grateful that she found me useful as an additional pair of eyes. We had this understanding between us that I would say anything and everything that occurred to me. And if she wanted to slap me, she could. But um, she never slapped me. She would see me coming. And I would bring up something that that just because I'm so familiar with the story, like we need to make sure this prop registers because it becomes relevant later in the story, or we need to make sure that the actor says the line, does say the line this particular way because it's a setup for this later payoff. You know, things, I mean, I don't know if those are perfect examples, but but she would see me coming, she would stop. She would totally give me her full attention. I just really credit her with this because, you know, every department head is demanding the director's attention. And she would stop and she would really listen and then she would nod and then she would go address it with whomever it needed to be addressed with. Or she would stop, listen, and then look at me and say, go. Oh, we changed that. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really a wonderful experience. And in terms of rewriting on set, um, we were a low-budget film. So if there were things that threw threw us off schedule, which, you know, it happens. There was a terrible thunderstorm. At one point we shot um, our hero house was in Long Island in Port Washington. 
Um, and there was this terrible lightning storm at one point. And, um, you know, there's one day where a, a crucial piece of equipment doesn't get to the set on time or, you know, there's just delays sure. that happen. So, so I did have to do some rewriting on set where we would be like, okay, we're not going to be able to have this location. So this scene that happens in this location contains this important information for the story or important relational beat for the story. How, you know, how can we transpose that essential information to a different location that kind of rewriting was something that i would have to do cool and so one so one little quick follow-up to that too and this is just a, a curiosity for me is you really had some heavy hitter uh, actors uh in this film which was very impressive and i know a lot of times actors on set will uh and depending on who they are like to go off script or improvise a little bit how much of that would you say is is in the film well, um, you know, for a first-time screenwriter, uh, well, for me, um, <laughs> improvisation is very difficult. Um, <laughs> you do, you do know, like you're more than anyone else in the world. You're aware of how you've labored over lines of dialogue, right, and if you're right. a screenwriter, you know how much you've tried to be economical in terms of your word choice and being using as few words as possible to convey the most and stuff like that. So there were times where that part of me was like <sighs> having hives, but to tell you the truth, some of some really great moments came from, from the actors ad libs. One laugh that gets a laugh every single time is an improvisational line that Scott Cohen threw in there um, that I didn't write and I wish I did cause it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And, um, and Janet gave, uh, the, the teen boy characters free reign in terms of improvising their dialogue with each other. I mean, Frank, let's admit it. I'm not a teen boy. Okay. So, right. um, they would have stuff to bring to that, that I wouldn't. And they, they, they do bring a lot of humor, like audiences laugh at them and you know and those were not lines I wrote this was so exciting I mean I was living my dream I'm still living my dream but like to have Famke Jansen say I really would like to have this in this you know phone call conversation can you write this for are you kidding me of course I can write <laughs> there's a scene where the father goes to the son's room and they have a moment and that was not written in the script until he told told me that he needed a scene like that yeah. Um, so, so there was, there was writing like that, that was happening in addition to some of the improvisation that the actors did. Very cool. That's great. That is all so fascinating. Like, I seriously think we could probably talk to you all night about all of this stuff because we are just all very interested in it. So Josh, I know, I know you have some questions too. I do. I do. You mentioned, um, being a small budget film, being an independent film and having to write around thunderstorms and things like that. I'm curious as to, in all of that, what was the most challenging moment in this project? And it might not even be during production. Like the most challenging moment for you as a screenwriter might have been shopping the script or, you know, getting it published at all. But so I'm curious from your perspective, what was the most challenging moment for you? <laughs> oh, you're going to laugh at the first thing that came to mind. No, that's perfect. <laughs> so, uh, well, the I have to come up with another answer because uh, this <laughs> will not satisfy. But it's funny. The first three days on location at our hero house, 
there were no bathrooms. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that that's is a the challenge. perfect, most challenging <laughs> that challenge. That's, that's an indie film challenge, right? <laughs> yeah. um, the was real. That is the first thing that came to mind. If yeah, I think like if if yeah, if we're this is a show where we're not being politically correct and we're being really honest, I think it was hard. I because I have been a writer for so long. You know, you you don't realize what a privilege it is to be all alone in your room and your characters and your story and every single thing is exactly how you determine it to be. (laughs) And then the wonderful blessing of it getting made happens and suddenly you have to share it. Mm -hmm. And film is... I mean, it's, it is a collaborative medium. You've heard it said, but it is so true. And, um, and when you're just writing all by yourself, you have infinity to work with. Um, the infinity of time, the infinity of your imagination, um, and complete like godlike control over every aspect. But then when you get into the reality of making a film, um, You need to be open to collaboration and you need to realize that people are bringing from their experience and, um, and even how that all improves the overall project. Sometimes it can be hard to, to let go and be open. So if I'm being honest, there was one day where I cried. (laughs) (laughs) That was sort of a pervasive, like an overall challenge that really, helped me to to grow in a way like having your first movie way made is real it is kind of like losing your virginity because um there's a long wait and a lot of anticipation and um it can be clumsy but it can also be exhilarating and um you're not the same after it. it's over so it's does that answer your question? No, Josh, we'll I explain virginity a... later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to have to catch up on that some, some other time. But no, I, I think that is a, that's a fantastic answer. And I, I feel like as someone who has dabbled in writing but never actually attempted to produce a, a, a screenplay or anything, I feel like that is, that's a hang-up for a lot of writers. And I feel like some of us, consciously or subconsciously, might even shy away from doing something like this because we don't want to give up control. We don't want to have someone else say, well, this just isn't possible or we need to do it this way. And so I I really appreciate that answer. I think that was great. As the screenwriter, you are the first advocate for the story. So some of the time you need to be open to collaboration, but then other, other times you need to know that there are battles worth fighting and worth choosing. Um, and when you when when you do identify a position that needs to be held, you need to be sure that you've done your research and that you're able to articulate it logically and um, not emotionally, and and also to know the personalities of the people that you're dealing with. Could you give some advice, maybe on how you got to where you are now? Uh, you know, you, you said you were in, you've been in the business business for quite a while. So how, how did you go about getting this film produced and, um, and maybe any advice to that end? 
the truth of the matter is it's very difficult to make a living exclusively as a screenwriter. Um, now more than ever, like in the nineties, it was a lottery ticket where you, there were spec sales happening left and right, people getting mid against high six figures and all that. Um, but, but really, and if writers are honest about their own personalities, nobody's, if they have the free time, nobody's writing 24 hours a day. What you need is self-discipline and good time management, set up some kind of regular schedule a few days a week or weekly that you're getting your writing done. You have to show up for your writing, for your writing to happen. But um, don't think of your day jobs as like a big obstacle because the truth of the matter is you've got to live life. That's your material. I mean, how many different jobs did Charles Dickens have, just for one example? Um, so don't think of your job as an obstacle to your creativity. I think that it's helpful to listen to, I mentioned um, the Script Notes podcast. I think that they touch on craft as well as business. I think it's helpful to read good scripts. Um, nowadays, every year, the, the Academy-nominated scripts get posted and they're worth reading. It helps you to raise your game um, and see how the A-list writers really do it. I think that in choosing your stories and choosing your material, it serves no one to chase a trend because by the time something's a trend, there's already a million projects in development to chase that trend. I think the reason God called you to be a writer is because you have a story that no one else can tell. It's interesting. I when I when I first wrote the script, I did have an agent, and when my agent read the script, he didn't believe in it, and he basically said, "What do you expect me to do with this?" Um, and so I put it on the shelf, and unfortunately, I believed him that it didn't have value. But the truth of the matter is, if something matters to you it likely matters to someone else. That's just the nature of the human experience. And so you got to tell your stories as well as you can, as truly as you can. Well, I know we could literally ask you questions all night because all of us are so interested in this, but what we, what we want to make sure that we get to on the podcast is um, letting our listeners know where and when they can see this film because it is getting a national release in theaters. So I know it'll be in theaters the 26th through the 28th of February, which is just right around the corner. So we are going to put a link in our show notes and on our Facebook and on our website of the theaters around the country where this film can be seen. And we would definitely encourage you guys to um, go see this movie, especially if you have any connection with, with – um, families dealing with autism or with foster care. Um, it's got a lot of awesome issues that it addresses and and it's it'll be really cool for you to see the movie after you've heard all of this awesome stuff from its screenwriter. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being on with us and for sharing all of this stuff and hopefully we'll uh, we'll get to interview you about another movie coming up um, as, as your career continues. So well I really appreciate being on on y'all's podcast and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. The pleasure's ours. 